James chapter 5. So we're coming to the end. And I've told you that the larger context of James is a book about growing in maturity. It's how to make your faith actually work for you so that your life changes for the better. But the context of what we're looking at today is, and I want you to hear this, so you guys need to listen for a second, especially here at the beginning. Felt a very specific direction, but the context of James chapter 5 and the portion we're going to be dealing with today is, how does faith help us deal with injustice? How does faith help us deal particularly when people do us wrong? When what people do hurts us, how does our faith help us? Um, You want to remember, James starts off, James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, when he talks about the 12 tribes, he's talking about the idea of the totality of the picture of those who are believers, because again and again and again, he calls them brethren. So he's talking about believers. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. These were Christians that because of their faith, they were scattered all over the known world at the time. Because of what they believed about God, they lost homes, livelihood, and at times, even their families. There are still places in the world today when if you become a believer, you are actually shunned from the rest of your family. And so, with that in mind, James is writing to us. In fact, let let me ask you, have any of you been treated unfairly in your life? Had something done that you thought was unfair? Um, How many of you have ever been wronged in your life and taken advantage of? I think we all have, right? So, how many of you would say, and again, I want you to listen closely, how many of you would say that 10 years ago, let's make it even closer, five years ago, you never anticipated you would be facing some of the things that you're facing right now? Can I see your hands? Let's bring you a little closer at home. How many of you at the beginning of this year never knew you would be facing some of the things you're facing right now? Um, James is talking about people like you and like me. People who are struggling. People who are God lovers. They love Jesus with all their heart. But life just has not gone the way they thought it would. Like us, these people thought, that once I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, won't life get all better? Won't my problems go away? Won't I have more prosperity, more of every good thing? And that's the kind of people that James is writing to. People who are facing challenges and crisis, even crisis in their faith. But hear this. I personally believe, and and again, I've been through it myself, so this is not like me talking just kind of uh, theoretically. I believe that when people have a crisis of faith, most often it's born in fear. We're afraid. We're scared. We're not going to make it. And can God even make it for us? God, you said 
But what about now? They're scared. Uh, they're hurt. They're upset. And perhaps even a little bit bitter and angry. Bitter and angry at the people who have done it to them. But I also think bitter and angry at God. And I want to suggest to you, God's big enough even for that. He's big enough for us to be real with Him. I had a friend whose uh, three-year-old grandson was told that he had bone cancer. And he wrote me this. Uh, he lives far away, so I can say this. He said, I must have sinned greatly in this life or a previous life, and I'm wondering if God is using this to punish me. Some of you here who are spiritual, you're going to say, oh, he just doesn't know God well enough. No, I'm sorry. Please, blow it out your pipe. All of us question things sometimes. All of us go through heartaches that make us question God. And His goodness, His kindness, His promise to be faithful to us. If you live long at all, you'll know you'll go through that kind of stuff. I expected better. At one point, the same friend said to me, I don't know if I want to serve a God like that. So what I would like you to do right now, and I know you guys come very prepared and I'm grateful for how well you listen, but I'd like you to do a favor for me, and I know that whenever I ask you to do this kind of favor, there's something inside of a lot of you that rises up and says, I don't have to do anything you say. You're right, you don't. So be free to be a rebel. I'm kidding, you know that. I understand what it is to feel like I don't know you. Why should I do what you ask of me? But I'm going to ask you to do it anyways. I'm going to ask you to take your phone, your Bible, and your notepad and just set it down for just a second. <clears throat> kind of get comfortable in your chair. I don't mean lay down. I mean get comfortable for a second. And I would like you to, if you're able, if you're willing, to just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Just stay between you and God. I believe that God wants to use His Word today to speak to each one of us. I believe that God, by His Holy Spirit, is here in this place. And He wants to minister healing and hope to you today, to you personally. Yeah, I'm talking specifically to you. God wants to come near to those who are brokenhearted. Those who are afraid. Those who have become angry, almost put up a wall because God didn't do what I thought He would do. And you've closed yourself off even from God. But He's coming near to you today, right now. I believe that God wants to meet with us today. So I want you to just close your eyes. Just like if we were getting ready to lift weights. We have to get our feet in a certain position. We have to have our body right. I want you to, in your soul, position yourself to hear from God. To allow God to minister to you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence to come and to be with us. We used to sing an old song. It goes like this. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in 
this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, Thou art welcome in this place. Lord, in Thy presence there's healing divine. No other power can save, Lord, but Thine. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite You right now to come to minister to our hearts. And for those that are hurting, that are afraid, that are disillusioned, perhaps even a little angry and bitter, resentful, I'm asking You to come and to break through our barriers today all the walls that we have erected to protect ourselves. We've even said things like, I just don't care anymore. I don't care about God. I don't care about church. I don't care about any of it. But the truth is, it's come out of a deep place of woundedness. And Lord, I'm asking You to come as the healer and to minister to us today. Let Your presence be real among us. Come and have your way. Touch hearts today, I pray, in a way that my words could never do. I'm asking you to go deeper. And for those, Father, that they're like, I, I don't even get where you're going with this, Lord, I, I ask you just to help each of us to be able to hear the word of the living God who is among us today. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Um, one thing before I go on, sorry. James chapter 5, if you're not there, and in these short verses that we're going to read together, James talks about one of the ways, one of the primary ways that we deal with the sense of woundedness, of hurt, of injustice around us, and he says we need patience. But when he talks about patience, he's not just saying, suck it up, rosebud. He's not saying, just hold on and survive, like the picture of the cat hanging onto the bar. That's not what he means by patience at all. And I want you, as we read through it, <clears throat> to be open to an understanding of what James means when he talks about patience that might be other than what you have understood it to be. A lot of times when we think about being patient, it's like something really onerous. We all know, we pray things like, God, I want patience and I want it now. Well, James is not talking about that kind of patience really. He's talking about that which is going to take you to the end. He's talking about not breaking, going beyond the breaking point when everybody else around you breaks. And in these first verses, six times, six times, he uses three words that are kind of linked together. The word is patience, endurance, and perseverance. 
So he's going to talk about those three things, and you can note them as we read. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, if you'll follow along. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be right up here on the screen for you. Okay, James 5 and verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. What James does here is James gives us um, kind of like um, three ways that we can understand and grapple with this issue of patience. He, he, he answers kind of like the questions that we ask when we're in English class, and he told us, when you're going to write a good article, you need to answer like the five W's kind of thing, the five questions. Well, James addresses three of them. He asks the question, when should we be patient? Why should we be patient? And how should we be patient? So he's going to address all of those, and I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. If you can help me to follow along, that would be helpful. So he first starts with, when should I be patient? And James says there's three times when we all need an extra dose of the grace of God, not just to survive, but actually to thrive in the midst of life. Number one, when circumstances are uncontrollable. You need patience when things are outside of your control. And he uses the example of a farmer in verse 7. Part of the job description of a farmer is to wait patiently. I mean, he waits to plow. He waits to sow the seed. He waits to have the harvest. But even outside of those things, which a farmer might have some control of, he can decide whether I'm going to go out and plow today or not. There are things outside of his control. He can't control the weather. Whether there's too much rain or too little rain whether it's too cold or it's too hot. I've watched whole crops be destroyed by a late summer hailstorm. A farmer can't control those kinds of things. And that's what James is talking about. A farmer can't control how much his crops will produce. He can hope, he can plan for it, but you can't control it. And James says, just like that farmer has things outside of his control, all of us, face things that are outside of our control. A major problem we deal with is that when things are outside of our control, we still try to control them. Right? We, we, we practice this amazing gift. It's a spiritual gift. Okay, I take it back. It's an unspiritual gift. We practice this unspiritual gift called worry. We worry about things. We fret about them. Things you can't control, we're going to I used to say it. I don't know if this is even a right way to say it, but I say it anyways. Um, we chew the mental cud. 
You know how a cow chews its... I forget it. Um, There used to be farmers in this place, not anymore. We lay in bed at night ruminating on this again and again in our mind. How many of you have laid in bed and played the same stereo again and again and again? Something's going on in your family and you can't go to sleep. And you say, I'm praying about it. But really, you're not praying. Really, you're worrying to God about stuff that you can't control. Worry and fret. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then, when you've done that, the peace of God will rule and reign in your heart. We need patience when the circumstances we face are uncontrollable. Number two, we need patience when people... I should just stop there. If you ever have to deal with people, you need patience. My faith in God would go really well if I didn't have to live with you guys. Or, I take it back, you guys are way better. If I didn't have to live with me, because that's where the real problem is. We need patience when people seem unchangeable. And James in verse 10 gives the example of the prophets. And if you think about it, the prophet's job description was to tell the people they needed to change. Have you found out yet people don't like to be told what to do? I just ask you guys to put everything down and close your eyes, and some of you go, no. Who do you think you are? And especially when people are telling you to change. A lot of people say, oh, I don't mind change. I like change. They only like change if it's change they like. Right? Otherwise, no one likes to change. I want everything to stay the same. I want to expect the same thing every day. It's going to go well. Everything's going to go perfect. I'm going to get up, I'm going to feel good, and I can do what I want. But that's not normal life. People uh, over the years, many times, have said to me, Pastor, um, I've looked at your life and I feel like you know your life has gone better than mine for some reason. Of course, they don't really know my life. They're just looking at the outside. They don't know anything else. And they say, so we would like you to speak into our lives. We would, we're inviting you to tell us the truth. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I've lived long enough now and done this enough that now when that happens, they just kind of smile. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate the fact that you give me that honor. Because I've learned that they want you to speak into their life until you tell them something. And then they don't want to hear it anymore. Then they get mad at you. And then they don't want to come to church anymore because you had the audacity to tell them maybe there's something that might need to change. It's really hard when we're dealing with real people around us. I mean, to read about the saints, and Paul talks about Job, or not Paul, James, talks about Job and he talks about the prophets, and that's all wonderful to think about, but you didn't have to live with those people either. I bet they weren't so fun to live with all the time because they were real people just like you and I when people say to me speak into my life I've come to realize what they really mean is we want you to tell us how great we are and how we're ready for major leadership ministry that's what they really mean if you say anything else they get mad at you they get upset James says the answer to our problems with people is patience now the word that James uses here is a unique word it's it's a Greek word it's macrothumos just say that for fun. Macro 
macro thumos. Say macro thumos. Don't you just feel smart? Macro is the word that means large or long. No, micro is small, macro is large. So macro means large or long. Thumos, we get words like thermal, thermos. So macrothumos literally means it takes a long time for you to get mad. It takes a long time for you to blow your top. There's got to be a whole lot of pressure before you lose it. It literally means long heated. It takes you a long time to get hot under the collar. And he says, that's what we need when we're dealing with people. You need patience when people are involved. The third place he says when we need patience is when problems are unexplainable. And in verse 11, he talks about Job. If there's anyone who grappled with the unexplainable, I think it was Job. I mean, here's a guy. Think about it. I mean, honestly, think about it for one second. Here's a guy that God Himself says that for His generation, He was perfect. This was a spiritual man. He did nothing wrong, but within the span of two days, He lost everything. He lost His livelihood, His buildings, His crops, His children. And his wife, I mean, I think Job's wife gets a bad rap. I really do. I know that later on, Job's wife comes to him and says, just curse God and die. I think she was scared like any of us would have been. What else is going to go wrong? I think she was scared and she's saying to Job, maybe we should just quit and die. Maybe it would be better in God's presence that way. Job's left with nothing. And... The hardest part is when life happens to you and it doesn't seem fair or make sense. When you've done the best that you know how and things are still going wrong, that's hard to handle. And that's kind of what happened to Job. You know, some problems that we have are our faults. You know that, right? You make a foolish decision, you're going to have consequences. Some problems are our own doing. But some problems that happen to us aren't because of us. It's what other people did or circumstances that we can't control. That's when we really need patience. And by the way, I keep saying patience, but we're going to get to, a, I think, a better definition of patience. So hold on steady. There's a lot of things in life I don't understand. I don't understand why Judah was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I don't understand it. I don't understand why so many of our loved ones, some who are sitting in this room, wake up every morning with debilitating pain. I don't know why some of our dear loved ones died at such an early age because of cancer. I don't understand it, and I have to tell you, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that one of our brothers, Leo, is going in on Tuesday heart surgery. I don't like it. I don't understand it. Here's a guy who's in good physical shape. Very active. What's the deal? There are a lot of things that I don't understand, and I don't know that I will understand it this side of heaven. The question is, what do you do with it on this side of heaven? What do you do with those things that you just don't understand? The unexplainable problems. 
we had a, a, a young woman in the church. Some of you will remember Krista Roop. Some of you? Krista, vibrant young woman. They had just bought Wyoming in and were going to run a bed and breakfast there and things were going well. And she began to have some aches and pains and just found it was harder for her to get around a little bit. So some of the ladies from this church went and helped her to clean it and get the whole place all ready. But then the aches and pains got worse and worse until she became so debilitated, so handicapped, that she had to have a wheelchair that was a laying out wheelchair where she laid that the whole way. She got to a point where she couldn't speak anymore. She couldn't eat anymore. She had to have a tube. It was just, it was terrible. And you're learning, why in the world did that happen? But I can remember early on, while she could still talk, somebody asked Krista this, aren't you mad at God for doing this to you? And this was her response. I can still remember it. How can I be mad at him? He's all I have to hang on to. When you got nothing else, that's all we got. It's what the apostle said when Jesus said, are you two going to leave me? He said, where else are we going to go? I haven't found anything better out there. Patience isn't just putting up with things because you can't control them. It's holding on to God in hope. That's what patience is. It's holding on to God. Believing Him, even when everything seems contrary. Every bit of evidence seems to contradict it. Holding on to God. When? Well, we need patience when circumstances are uncontrollable, when people are unchangeable, and when problems are unexplainable. But then James goes to why. Why do we need patience? Number one, because God really is in control. He says in verse 8, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Three times in those verses I read to you, you go back and read them yourself, three times he talks about the coming of the Lord. That could mean the second coming of the Lord, and I don't think that's wrong. I think God is going to come back, and He's going to set all records straight. He's going to cause everything to be understood and make all things that were wrong right. That's what God's going to do when He comes again. But I also think there's sometimes, just like the song we sang earlier by Bob Fitz, when God wants to come and save us now. When God is coming near to us right now. The version we read said, establish your hearts. But the Phillips translation says this, resting your hearts on ultimate certainty. Resting your hearts on ultimate certainty. Though a situation might be outside of our control, it's not outside of His. God is always in control. I can't control everything in my life, but I can trust that God is in control. There's never been a day in anything that has happened to me where God has been caught by surprise. Where He said suddenly, oh my word, what am I going to do? I better call in the cavalry. Not going to happen. Number two, God rewards patience. In verse 11, He says, we count them blessed who endure. Blessed. In other words, it pays dividends to be patient and not quit. The second half of Job's life, the Scripture tells us, was doubly blessed from what he had known previously. There are rewards in this life, but there are also rewards in the life to come. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 5.11. 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. All too often, I want my reward right now. I want to be able to see it now. I want proof of it now. God changed the situation right now. But God is saying, no, we also have to wait knowing our reward is coming for us there. We're not citizens of just the United States of America or whatever country you might be a part of here. We are citizens, first and foremost, of a higher kingdom. I heard the story of a missionary who spent his entire life in a, a, a very uh, out-of-the-way country, an out-of-the-way place, just spent his life with seemingly little results. But he did have some. And there came a point in his life when it was time for him to come home. Uh, he was going home to help take care of himself, his wife, and his family. And so he was coming home. And in those day and age, they had to come home by ship. And as they're pulling into New York City Harbor, there's like this huge ticker tape parade going on. There's all kinds of banners saying welcome home and all this stuff going on. And this missionary knew not one bit of it was for him. It was for a starlet that was on the same ship coming back from a tour that she did in England. And he began to be a little bit resentful. He said, God, it just doesn't seem fair. I've lived and served you all of my life. I've done the best that I know how. And yet, I come home and there's nothing for me. It's just for her because she's a star. And immediately, he heard God speak to him and said, the problem is, you're not home yet. Our home is there. Not here. You're not home yet. Number three. Why? Because God really is working things out. God's working behind the scenes in ways that you and I can't always see. If there's one message in the book of Job, it's this. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that we can't see. In fact, God says He's working in you right now. Did you know that? God is working in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. Right this very moment, God's working something out in your life. You might not see it, you might not understand it, but God is at work in your life. He says in verse 11, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended. In other words, God had purpose even in what was going on. The end intended by the Lord. Romans 8 says, all things work together for God, for good. But you have to wait for the all part. We are not there yet. We have some, but we don't have all. And when that all comes together, God's going to cause good to come out of it. Our problem is, we want the end right now. We want our suffering, our struggles, our challenges, our crises to be done now. Uh, there was a uh, well-known preacher back in the last century by the name of Philip Brooks. Some of you might have read some of his books. Philip Brooks was in his office one day before church, and he was pacing in his office, much like I am right now. He's pacing back and forth frantically, and somebody opens the door to let him know it was time to come out. And they saw him pacing, and they said, Pastor, is there a problem? And he said, yes. He said, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. And I think that's often part of our problem is we want it and we want it now. While you're waiting, God is working. So that was when and why and finally how. How should I be patient? James tells us we should wait expectantly. And he again uses the example of the farmer. 
says the farmer plants a seed, and what does the farmer do then? Having planted, having tilled the soil to get prepared, having planted the seed, having wet it, having uh, put fertilizer in, what does he do? Does he go in and just watch reruns of green acres? Does he keep digging up the seed to see if it's doing anything? No. He anticipates that the seed is going to fulfill its purpose. And he begins to prepare for it. I I thought it was interesting. Uh, Doug Gillette, who some of you guys know, he's a good friend. Doug Gillette spends most of his time not out on the fields at all. He's a potato farmer, a big potato farmer. They have fields and fields and fields of potatoes that they sell to some company. I can't remember now. Do you remember, Tom? Lay's. I know some went to Snyder's and stuff like that because he wanted me to visit down in Lancaster. But either way, here's a guy who's like a big farmer. But he spends almost no time in the fields whatsoever. He says, I don't even see the potatoes sometimes. He spends all of his time preparing the machinery that they need to harvest their crop. So part of what we're doing, waiting expectantly, is we're actually getting ready for what God has promised. And sometimes that means preparing your barns, preparing your machinery, or whatever it might mean. Waiting is a time of preparation showing that you expect there actually to be something that happens. That's what it means. I'm expecting this thing is not the end. God's going to do something. Expectancy has to do with our trust in God's faithfulness. His promise to do what He has said. David said uh, in Psalm 130, I wait expectantly, trusting God for help, for He has promised. Isaiah said, The Lord says, No one who waits for my help will be disappointed. Wait expectantly, number one. Number two, wait quietly. James says that while we're waiting, and things have not gone the way we thought, there's a tendency to verbalize it to complain a bit, to grumble and to moan. And he even uses that. He says, there's two things that we fall into in verse 9 and 12. Complaining and swearing. Complaining. I got to tell you, when I am upset about something, one of the hard lessons for me is to learn to keep my mouth shut. Because I want to complain. I want everybody to know what's going on and how unfair it is. I want them to commiserate with me. And I found that more often than not, when I speak, I say things that later on I regret and I wished I hadn't said. And James is telling us, stop grumbling to one another because all you're doing is fomenting a sense of dissatisfaction, of upset among everybody. But then he uses the term swearing, and that can have a couple of implications. It can mean swearing, literally cussing out God. I don't think God's scared of it. I don't think there's a one word that you can come up with that God hasn't already heard. However, I don't think it's the wisest that we should be angry and swearing at God or swearing at people. But there's another use of swearing that Jesus actually refers to back in the Gospels when He says, when you say something, don't swear by heaven or by earth. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, when we swear, like as a kid we say, I swear it's true. What we're doing is we're trying to lend more authority to our words. And one of the things I have found that when we're going through stuff, we often try to give explanation as if God told us. We say, well, this is why it's happening. Or this is what you should do. This is how it is. And we say it with such authority. And James says, you should be careful. 
because you don't know everything yet. You need to be a little bit careful about that kind of swearing. When I had jury duty, I only served on a jury once. It was kind of a fun experience. But one of the things the judge would say to us every single break and every single day, do not make a decision. Do not draw a conclusion until you've heard all of the evidence. And the truth is, most of us haven't heard it all yet. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it is a folly and a shame to him. Wait until we know everything, and then we can make judgment. Insight most often comes with the outcome. Something happens that settles it, and we all of a sudden say, Oh, I get it now. That's the kind of thing that James is talking about. Lamentations 3.26 says, It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And finally, number three, James says, wait confidently. Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Micah 7.2 says, I will wait confidently for God. Psalm 37.7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. In other words, we're not going to take things into our own hands. This is kind of how James addresses this whole issue about us facing struggles in life. When we're faced with things that we don't understand, that we don't feel like are our fault, that feel unfair, unjust, when we are dealing with things that we've tried our best to handle, and it seems like no matter what we do, it seems to go wrong. When we're dealing with people that it doesn't seem like anything's going to change there. Maybe in your marriage. It doesn't seem like it's going to change. I can't control this person. James is talking about all of that, and he says what we need is patience. But patience is not just gritting your teeth. Patience is actually believing that God really is in control and that He's going to cause good to come out of this somehow. I'm going to ask if you would, just for a moment, if you would just kind of bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. So what are you facing right now that you need patience and hope for? Are you facing situations beyond your control? Or are you dealing with people who don't seem willing to change? Are you facing situations that defy explanation? Have you found yourself angry and bitter and grumbling and swearing a bit lately? Remember, James says it might be out of my control, but it's not out of his. God's going to reward your patience, your faithful trust in Him. That's His promise. If not in this life, in that life. For some of you today, this is not just a theoretical message. This is for you and you know it. You're facing things in your family that are heartbreaking. You're facing things with your kids that are just tearing you up. And you know you can't control it. They have to make their own decisions. But your heart breaks. And it would be really easy to become angry. God, I prayed and I prayed. Or maybe it's even in your own life. Maybe there's stuff that you're dealing with that you want changed. And you say, I've tried my best. I read. I pray. I come to church. But 
Maybe it's not inside of you. Maybe it's your health. Maybe your struggle is God. I had no anticipation that we would end up where we are physically. When faced with that which seems unchangeable, unexplainable, insurmountable even, the prophets and Job did what we need to do. Rather than running from God, we need to run to God. Some of you need to take a moment, just right now, just in your heart of hearts, humble yourself. Stop all the fretting and stewing, all the worrying, just just for this moment and say, God, you seem far away right now and I'd like to reintroduce myself to you. I don't like how things are going in my life. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's fair. But God, you're all I have to hang on to. You're my only hope. So I look to you, Jesus. You who started this thing in me, you promised to finish it. Just let God creep into the crevices. Maybe it's just a little nook that you can open right now, but do it. Open it to Him. Just even that little part. It's okay to tell Him about your hurt, your pain, your dissatisfaction, your anger. It's okay. The prophets expressed that. David expressed it again and again. But he would conclude it with, but God. But God. I'm going to ask John and the worship team to play that uh, song again they did at the end by Bob Fitz. And if you're somebody who's going through something right now, you know, the truth is, every one of us goes through stuff at various times in life. So there's no one who's immune, no one who's better than anybody else. But if you're going through something right now that you just know, I just need to say to God, I'm looking to you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If that's where you're at, as the worship team sings this song finally, I'm going to just invite you to come and stand before the Lord. And in standing, you're saying, God, I'm not saying I like this. I'm saying I'm going to keep my faith in you. I'm going to wait expectantly for you because your promise is true. You have never failed. You've never lied. You're real. You really are God. And you really can do what you promised to do. So if that's you today, rather than just kind of keep sucking it up, I want to invite you to come and just say yes to the Lord. Whatever you're facing, whether in your family, in your finances, in your health, in your workplace, in your life situations, this is your opportunity. Do not be afraid. Lord, your God is strong. With his mighty 
when you call on his name. He will come and save. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Say to the weary one, Your God will surely come. He will come and save you. Jesus, come and save, we pray, God. Show Yourself strong on our behalf, O God. Jesus. Father, right now, we pray that Your strong arm would come and show itself on our behalf. Not necessarily in a changed situation because we're here but in our heart's attitude, in our mindset, in our perspective, we're asking You to come and to save us. Save us from depression and discouragement where the enemy would want to wreak destruction over our lives. We're asking You to come and to show Yourself in our midst. To be able to show that You are here and that You care. You're not far off and distant. It's not like You don't care about us. You care immensely about the things that we're facing. Even as Christ came to the grave of a friend and He wept, though knowing that He was about to raise His friend from the dead, He still wept knowing the feelings that we have. So I'm asking You to come and to save each one. Lord, those who have come forward, those perhaps couldn't come forward for whatever reason, I'm asking You to meet with them in their life situations and cause Your salvation to be seen. You don't just save us once and for all. You save us every moment of every day. Come and save, I pray. Now if you need to leave, we pray God's blessing upon you. Feel free to leave or just sit in the presence of the Lord for a while. If you're going to leave, I ask you to take your talk outside in the foyer and even there, keep it down. Okay, So that these folks who are still seeking the Lord can have some level of quietness in doing that. All right? God bless you guys. Broken hearted, do not lose your faith. The Lord your God is strong with His loving arms. And save. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. He will come and us your mercy for each one. Come, Father, show your